We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see you out here on this beautiful day and uh, glad that we have some, some nice weather and are able to gather in this field. The Lord's been really, really gracious to us on Sundays with the weather here in the month of August in Missouri. Those of you who are new to our state, I know there's several of you, um, yesterday was a taste of what it's like here often where you're not supposed to have any rain and then it gives a downpour for hours and it's supposed to last then all day and then it's sunny all afternoon. They just don't really know what's happening around Kansas City when it comes to weather. So just make up your own weather forecast and go with it. It'll, uh, it'll work out just as well for you. But man, what a joy to be with you here today. Take your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We'll get there in a little bit. If you're a guest with us, it's a joy to have you with us. I know this is an interesting time to be quote-unquote church shopping or um, just checking out a church and, and visiting. Uh, things are not as they normally are or at least what they used to be or we're not sure what they ever will be again or when that will happen. But thanks for joining us today and sitting in the field with us and bringing your own chair to join us. It's a joy to have you with us. If, if you would like more information about Emmaus, if you would like one of our team members to reach out to you, uh, then you can text the word welcome. You can text the word welcome to 816-448-8178. Again, that's text the word welcome to 816-448-8178. 816-448-8178. What will happen is you'll get a, uh, a link will come to you for a form for you to fill out just for us to have your information and we will reach out to you and get in touch with you. We'd love to connect to answer any questions that we can for you uh, about Emmaus, uh, about who we are, kind of where we're going, those sorts of things and would love to just uh, just be a resource for you that way. So please feel free to do that. And then if you're interested in what it looks like to become a member at Emmaus Church, or if you know you would like to become a member at Emmaus Church, then on September the 12th, we are doing a condensed version of our membership weekend. This is a a must step to be able to become a member here. So it's a necessary step. You need to be there for that or at least talk with us about that. If something happens and you can't be there for that weekend but you want to move through membership, at least let us know that so we can look at options for you. Um, But what we'd like to do is invite you to join us for that September 12th membership class. It's a one-day class on a Saturday where we'll get to walk with you through who we are as a church, what we believe as a church, what it means to be a member, um, what are those commitments and and those sorts of things, what's our commitment to you, uh, and get to talk to you about membership. So that's coming up on the 12th. Uh, You can find more information about that on our website and on our social media platforms as well. Let me pray for us and then we're going to uh, jump into our message today and we'll get to Luke 24 in a few moments. Jesus, we thank you for this, um, this day. I thank you for the opportunity to gather here today in this field and to worship and to to praise you and to confess with each other and to be assured of your grace with each other and to open your scriptures here with each other. What a grace this is to us. May we not miss this. I pray that you would take these scriptures and that you would take your word and that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, that you would assure us of grace. 
that you would unify us as a church through your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Move my speaker up a little bit more, see if I can block it with my chest. All right. I think we got that better there. Hey, every year we do a series uh, called Declare and Display. It's an annual kind of um, realigning ourselves with, with who we are as a church, why we exist, where we're going. And sometimes that series is a week long. Sometimes it's four weeks. This year it happens to be two weeks. So today and next week we are unpacking um, really who we are as a church. All right, I think I'm good, Sean. I think we got it now. Sean was offering me a, a wind block for my mic. We're, we're going to be unpacking who we are as a church moving forward. Next week, we're going to look at some hopes that I have for us as a church. This week, we want to kind of unpack um, who we are and why we exist, right? To, to start with why, if you will. What, what's our purpose here? And, and why, why do we do what we do? Why are we what we are? Our mission statement here at Emmaus is this. We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Right, we exist to see God glorified and then churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. It is our hope as a church, what we're asking of the Lord, we're asking the Spirit of God to grant to us the joy of seeing new believers in Jesus grow into mature followers of Jesus and gather as healthy churches of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Right, We're asking the Spirit of God to grant us the joy of seeing new believers in Jesus become mature followers of Jesus who gather in healthy churches of Jesus for the glory of God the Father. We're convinced from Scripture that the way in which this happens, the way that we individually as Christians and we as corporately as Christians will see churches multiplied and God glorified is by faithfully declaring and displaying the gospel. If we faithfully declare and display the gospel. So, so let me clarify a few terms for us. Because what I know after five years of going through membership classes with Emmaus is when you ask the question, what is the gospel? You can get a wide range of answers. So allow me to clarify a few terms for us. By gospel, by the word gospel, when you hear us say gospel here at Emmaus Church, what we mean is this, and I use a, a, a definition from Ray Ortland: God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God with a promise of full restoration of his created order, all to the praise and glory of his grace. Now let me read that again. It's a beautiful answer. The gospel is that God through the perfect life and the atoning death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ rescues all of his people from the wrath of God with a promise of full restoration of his creation order forever, all to the praise and glory of his grace. Jesus, who has eternally been God's son, was sent by God to be born as a man, truly God, but also truly man. Jesus lived a perfect life, living in perfect obedience to God in every way. Jesus was killed on the cross as the atonement or the payment for sin for those whom he would save. 
Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And Jesus then ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where today he makes intercession on behalf of those whom he has saved. Literally prays for us to God the Father. And one day, Jesus will be sent by the Father again, and he'll come to restore all of creation into perfection, ending sin, healing all wounds, binding evil, and establishing peace forevermore. And each of us must face the reality that our sin, our rebellion towards God has, has been an act of treason and has separated us from this relationship with God the Father. And that Jesus had to come and he had to live perfect because we cannot. And he had to die as our substitute because we could not offer a sacrifice worthy enough to be saved. We could do nothing to earn salvation. We have to come to the reality that apart from Jesus, there is no hope of restoration with our God or with our world. This is the gospel. And so I ask you, have you placed your faith in Jesus for your redemption? Have you recognized your sin? Have you seen Jesus for who he is, God's son? Have you placed your faith in him for your redemption? And if you have not, would you do so today? Would you become a child of God today through faith in Jesus? Kids, it's great to see you today, kids, from from newborns through teenagers. It's a joy to have you with us in this field today. Kids, I know many of you are beginning to ask your parents questions. You're beginning to have discussions about who Jesus is and what it means to believe in Jesus. I love the reports from parents about the conversations that they're having with you. So kids, let me just ask you the question. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And have you placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins of which you are unable to climb out of yourself? If not, we strongly encourage you to have that conversation with your mom and dad this afternoon. Over lunch, afterwards, while you're laying on the floor playing, talk to mom and dad about what it means to follow Jesus. Ask them all the questions that you have. Your mom and dad might not know all the answers, but it'll be one of the best things they've ever done to figure out the answers for you if they don't know them. If you happen to be here and your mom and dad are not followers of Jesus and you say, I don't know who to talk to, I would love to talk to you after the service. I'll stand right over here by this table. You can come talk to me after the service. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. By declaring the gospel, When we say that we want to be a church who declares and displays the gospel, by declaring the gospel, we mean that we are using our words to speak the story of Jesus, which we have just shared about, calling sinners to receive redemption through faith in Jesus. So declaring the gospel is the use of our words to share this good news about Jesus and redemption in him. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, which actually comes just after the passage we're going to look at today. Luke 24, 47 says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Right? The declaring of the gospel is the declaring or the proclaiming of repentance and forgiveness of sins, that we must repent of our sins and that we will be forgiven of our sins in Jesus. And this is to go to all the nations. 
Here at Emmaus, the gospel is declared by, by us in song and in prayer and in confession and preaching as we gather here each week, seeking to turn the eyes of both the unredeemed and the redeemed steadfast to Jesus. Whether you gather here today as a believer in Jesus or an unbeliever, our goal and our aim today by the time you leave is that your eyes are refocused on Jesus with steadfastness, that your faith in him is kindled and flourished. The gospel is declared by our church and our community groups as we remind each other of the gospel, as we confront sin and revel in grace together. The gospel is declared by us and our families as we teach our children to look to Jesus in faith, as we pray with our spouses and pleading with God to keep our eyes on his son. The gospel is declared by us in our city as we're proclaiming hope, the hope of Jesus with those in our schools and our workplaces, with those in our offices and our gyms and on our streets. We declare the gospel both to the believer and to the unbeliever so that faith may grow and be birthed and continue to grow. And kids, you don't have to be an adult to declare Jesus. You don't have to be a grown-up. You don't have to have your driver's license or be 21 and able to vote at 18. You don't, you don't have to be an adult to be able to declare Jesus. Even as a child, you can tell other people about Jesus, kids. If you believe in Jesus and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have the opportunity and the joy and the right to tell people about Jesus. You don't even have to have all the answers, children. You don't have to know all the details. You just have to know that Jesus loves you, that you are a sinner far off from him, and that he died to save you. And you start telling people what you know, and we trust the Spirit to fill in some of the gaps. Kids, you have a place in this mission. Right now, I might need one of you to come hold my music stand for me. You all witnessing this? It kept getting lower and lower and lower until it was below my knees. And before I came up here, my son kissed me on the eye so strongly that I think my contact might be up in my eyelid. So I'm having trouble seeing anyways. And then at my knees, that was... All right, back to the gospel. All right. By displaying the gospel. So we want to declare the gospel and we want to display the gospel. By displaying the gospel, we mean living our lives in such a way as to show the redemption we have received in Jesus. Right? Living our lives in such a way as to show, not just declare, but to show the redemption that we have received in Jesus examples of this gospel lifestyle on display in scripture are seen in Ephesians 4:32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you does that sound like something that our nation needs right now kindness and forgiveness and tender heartedness James 1, 19 through 20, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In the age of social media fights, do we ever need to be a people who are slow to speak and slow to anger? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What if we were a people known for being patient? I'm reading a book right now that actually argues that patience was the primary cause for the church's growth in the first and second century. That the world did not know what to do with the people who had embraced patience to the degree that Christians had. What if we were a patient people? In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What if we sought to live peaceably, not defensively? And what if we gave instead of take? What if our lives looked like this small sampling of what Scripture says the Christian life is to look like? Could it not revolutionize the communities of people that we live among? By declaring and displaying the gospel, we get the joy of being used by God in the act of redeeming sinful men and women. We get to be a part of this beautiful thing that he is doing. That is why we're here in this field. That is why our covenant members are committed to this church body because we want to be a people who exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. For the remainder of our time today and into next week, here's my desire. We'll get back to walking through books of the Bible in two weeks. We'll start the book of Romans and we'll be there for the rest of most of our lives. But for the next two weeks, what I want us to do is I want us to unpack this idea of what it would look like as men and women and boys and girls if we actually lived impassioned for declaring and displaying of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the multiplication of churches. This week, I want to bring us back to a familiar text to our covenant members, Luke chapter 24. This is actually the text where we get the name Emmaus from. It is a text that we have looked at probably at least every other year as a church at some point. But I, I'm praying that we look at it even with, with refreshed eyes today of the need that is here in this text. I'm praying that we would look at this text today with, if you dare say, COVID eyes, with racial instability eyes, with political embattled eyes. And I want us to see our great need here. And next week, I want to take us somewhere that you might not expect. Rather than trying to rally us around being great evangelists or sharing the gospel with a person a week or, or something like this, next week, what I want to do is I want to urge us, instead of doing more, I want to invite us to come and sit more. Next week, I want to invite us to come and sit, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit in the lap of Jesus, to come to Jesus as a wide-eyed child, as a helpless cripple, 
as a blind searcher, as a dying leper, and to position ourselves before the Father in a lifestyle of prayer. It is a conviction that I am growing within me that I and our church are far too prayerless. Oh, may God make us a people of prayer. Planned prayers, written prayers, scriptural prayers, spontaneous prayers, spirit-filled prayers. May we be a people of, pray, of prayers. We want to look at what it looks like to sit at the feet of God in prayer next week. Because I ultimately believe that what if we do not find that as a place in our lives, as a habit and a practice and a joy of our lives, that any effort we have to declare and to display the gospel will actually either become duty or it will become burden. Probably both. We will try to earn God's favor through declaring and displaying rather than receiving favor and therefore declaring and displaying. So next week we want to receive his favor and look at a life of prayer. This week, for the remainder of our time, let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. I'm going to read it and walk through the passage and then bring us to a conclusion. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, if you're not familiar with the passage, this is intriguing because Jesus has recently been crucified and buried and now apparently risen from the dead. When it says that very day, that very day is the day that the women ran to the tomb and found Jesus' body not there. That very day is the day that Peter and John ran to the tomb and found Jesus' body not there. That very day is the third day after a terrible weekend for the followers of Jesus. When the man that they had pledged their lives to, the man that they had looked to for, for hope, the man that they thought would rescue them from Rome, the man that they thought would be their redemption, possibly even their Messiah, the man who had healed and the man who had raised the dead to life, this man, Jesus Christ, have been slaughtered before their very eyes. That's this weekend. And this day, they're walking and they are confused and they are discouraged and they are discussing it. I don't imagine this is a very happy conversation. Somber and deep and sad. And as they are walking, Jesus appears and walks with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And I love the subtle humor within this. 
that Jesus himself walks up, who knows all things, and he says, what are you talking about? They don't recognize him, and they say the things that have happened this week and Jesus concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus goes, what things? And they say, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? It's the talk of the town. Everyone knows what has taken place. And what I find so beautifully ironic in this passage is that Jesus is the only one who fully knows what has happened. Everyone has an idea. Everyone has an experience. Everyone has an interpretation. Jesus is the only one who fully knows on the eternal scale what has actually happened here this weekend. And yet, instead of answering them in the moment, he just goes, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. When you're having a conversation with someone who is sad with someone who is mourning, with someone who is grieved, with someone who is discouraged or confused. It's this beautiful thing that you can try to do and you can try to get to where their lost hope is. Somewhere in the midst of that story, there's a hope that has been lost. These men go, listen, like, we followed Jesus. We thought that he was this, this great leader. Like, he was a prophet. He was my, mighty before God and before man. And then all of our religious leaders, they like betrayed him and they like arrested him and they killed him. And, and we had trusted our religious system, but now we don't know if we can trust them anymore. And even Jesus himself, man, we, we had hopes that maybe he was more than even a prophet, mighty in deeds and works. We had hoped he might be the Messiah who would actually free us as his people. We had all these hopes. We don't know how to make sense of anything that we have seen this week. Verse 21, yes, and besides all of this, It is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. Stranger walking with us down this road, you want to know what makes the story even weirder? Is, is that this morning some of the ladies went to the tomb to treat the body and, and, and the body was gone. We, we didn't believe them. We, we thought that they were going crazy. So some of, some of the men went to the tomb to see what was going on. When they got there, they found the body was gone too. And some say they even saw an angel. We, we don't know what to believe. Jesus said, Oh, foolish 
ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Have you ever felt simply rebuked by Jesus himself? In a place of prayer, in a place before his word, Oh, foolish ones, don't you see? Don't you get it? How could you miss this? Is it not evident to you? Do you not remember what the scriptures have said? That Jesus must, the Messiah must go through everything that you've just described Jesus going through. This isn't something to be discouraged about, guys. This is evidence. This isn't something to fear. This is proof. He is who you hoped he would be. He is the Messiah. This is what scripture said would take place. And beginning, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These guys just got Old Testament survey from Jesus himself. Hey, let me just take you for a journey through your scriptures and let me remind you of who I am. Now they don't know it's Jesus yet. All of a sudden, their stranger just turned into one of the most brilliant teachers they've ever sat under. Who is this sage? Who is this scholar? Who is this great rabbi, this great teacher? And Jesus walks through Moses and the prophets and points to who Jesus is. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. It's a very funny little piece of the scripture here to me. They're walking down the road. They get to where they're going. And Jesus acts as if he's going to keep going farther. Doesn't say, and he was going farther and they invited him. It says he acts. He's pretending as if he's going to keep walking all along. He knows he's going to lunch with them. Some of you are going to do this today when this service is done. You're going to stand around in circles with people and act like you have lunch plans until you just show up at the same restaurant that you heard everyone else talking about. You're waiting for the invitation. This is Jesus. He acts as if he's walking and he gets the invitation from them. Please come eat with us, stay with us. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Could do that. I hadn't thought about that, but that sounds great. And Jesus shows up at their table to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He sits with them. He takes the bread and he breaks it. And their eyes, which previously in the passage we saw it said, were kept from seeing him. Now their eyes were opened. Can you imagine that moment? Can you place yourself at that table as an observer? Or maybe even as one of these men. With all the confusion and all the frustration and all the hopelessness that you've been walking in that weekend. With everything that this man has just taught you about the Messiah. Perhaps a hope has been kindling within you that Jesus really was what you hoped he was. He was the Messiah. How does that make sense with all of this, with him dead and with the resurrection? We, we can't wrap our minds around all this yet, but, but maybe this is true. Maybe there's hope here. Maybe this is what we thought it was. Maybe it's even more than what we realized it was. And then in an instant, he breaks the bread and their eyes are opened and they see Jesus. Like they don't just like physically see him. They see who he is. The eternal son of God, the Messiah, the redeemer, their savior, their king. They see Jesus. And as soon as they see him, he disappears and he's gone and his chair is left wobbling. The next thing it tells us is they said to themselves, did our hearts not burn? I wonder how much time of silence went between his disappearance and that moment. Perhaps one of them's up walking around, holding his head. What just happened? Jaw dropped. Maybe one of them's the guy that when he gets nervous, he just can't shut up and he's just talking about everything. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us when he taught us from the scriptures about himself? Church, the reason that we preach through the scriptures, the way that we preach through the scriptures is because we believe that as Jesus is taught from scriptures, that he is very capable of burning within your heart the truth of who he is. Whether that's Genesis or Lamentations or Ezekiel or Luke or Romans coming up, he takes his word and he burns upon our hearts the truth of who he is. And some of you have been coming and you've been gathering and you've been listening and you are not yet a believer. You haven't fully bought into this Jesus thing. You're not sure if he's who we're telling you he is. You're not sure about this whole sin thing and your need of Jesus. And yet every week when you leave, something within your heart is saying, there's truth there. 
And you know it's the case because the next week when you're deciding what to do on Sunday morning, you show up again. I don't know. I guess I'll just go back to Emmaus and sit in a field with a bunch of people again. Don't have anything better to do. Maybe you think it's by default. Maybe you think that you're just being nice to someone. But could it be that the Spirit of God is burning upon your heart that he is who he says he is? That Jesus is who he says he is. And it is our prayer that at some point, at some time, in a matter of a moment, your eyes will be opened to who he is and you'll believe. But Christian, we need this today too. We need this today as well. See, these men had walked with Jesus a long time. There was some sort of faith brewing within them. They hoped he was the Messiah. They were following him and hoping in him and, and believing that something's happening. There's some sort of faith going on within these men. And in this moment, something has happened and it has rattled their faith. It's shaken the very foundation of who they are and what they believed. They had faced something that had caused great discouragement, bewilderment. Confusion, hurt, pain, grief. And they needed their eyes open to see who Jesus was in the midst of that. In this field today are people who are likely, have their eye, your eyes have never been opened to who he is. Perhaps Jesus is unfamiliar to you. My daughter had a friend in high school who was a junior in high school and had never heard the story of Jesus here in Kansas City. Right, perhaps he's completely unfamiliar to you. Or perhaps you know of Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus. He's a good man, he's a good teacher, maybe even a prophet like these men said, but you have not believed that he is the son of God sent to redeem and to rescue his people from captivity and death of their own sin. And perhaps you believe the story of Jesus, but belief has not yet translated into saving faith, right? Your release of your own efforts to make yourself right before God, your, your full stop reliance upon his perfect life and atoning death and bodily resurrection of Jesus, uh, it has not come to fruition yet. It's not been birthed within you yet and come to life. And so you're walking around with this new belief, this new curiosity, this new um, cognitive understanding maybe. Or you're maybe buying in, but you're not yet going, I, I release myself to this in faith. I'm trusting in Jesus and not myself for salvation. Oh, may your eyes be open today to who he is. And in this field today, there are people who know the story of Jesus. You've believed in Jesus. You've placed saving faith in Jesus. But the war of sin within you, the exhaustion of life around you, the struggles of pain and hurts of wounds done to you, and the overall climate of our culture around you have you in a season where it might seem impossible to see the face of Jesus smiling upon you with pleasure. Perhaps you've begun to doubt what you once believed about Jesus is true. Perhaps you can't wrap your mind around how a loving God would allow you and others to experience such sorrow and suffering. 
Perhaps you've been greatly disappointed in how other Christians have treated you or acted around you. Perhaps you've been frustrated with this, with how this church or another church or the church in general has responded or not responded to things like COVID and racial injustice and racial riots and political firestorm that we find ourselves in. Perhaps your marriage is in such turmoil that you can't imagine Jesus healing it. Perhaps your parents are so demanding that you can't imagine Jesus looking upon you with kindness and pleasure. Your heavenly father looking at you with kindness and pleasure. Perhaps your children are so rebellious and you are so absolutely done with it. There are no patience left in you. You can't imagine your heavenly father looking at you and all of your rebellion and still being patient with you. Today in this field, under these trees, I pray that your heart would burn and your eyes would be open to who Jesus is. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In Genesis, he's the creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, the guide and satisfaction in the desert. In Deuteronomy, the prophet and curse for us. In Joshua, the commander and warrior. In Judges, the judge and deliverer. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. In First and Second Kings, he is the ruler greater than Solomon. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the son of David who rules eternally. In Ezra, he's a priest forever. In Nehemiah, he is the one who restores. In Esther, he's the protector of his people. In Job, he's the hope and suffering. In Psalms, he's the shepherd, the refuge, and the help. In Proverbs, he's eternal wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, the meaning of life. In the Song of Solomon, the faithful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace, suffering servant, and God alone. In Jeremiah, he's the foundation of the new covenant. In Lamentations, he is the merciful one. In Ezekiel, the son of man. And Daniel, the ancient of days. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the giver of his spirit to his people. In Amos, he's the defender of the oppressed and the burdened. In Obadiah, the judge of the wicked. In Jonah, the risen prophet. And in Micah, the ancient of days who abounds in steadfast love. In Nahum, he's the peacemaker and the stronghold. In Habakkuk, the just and the justifier. In Zephaniah, the warrior who saves. In Haggai, the restorer of true worship. In Zechariah, the Messiah, the branch of David, who is pierced for us. In Malachi, he is the son of, the, of righteousness who doesn't change. In Matthew, he's the Messiah who is the king. In Mark, he is the Messiah who is the servant and the ransom. In Luke, he is the Messiah who is the deliverer. And John, the Messiah who is God in flesh. In Acts, he's the one who dwells in and empowers his people. In Romans, the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the wisdom, power, and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he is the comforter. In Galatians, he is our life and liberty. 
In Ephesians, the head and cornerstone of the church who unites all races. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is the fullness of God who is supreme over all things. In 1 Thessalonians, the assurance in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, the returning king. In 1 Timothy, the savior of sinners. In 2 Timothy, the mediator of endurance. In Titus, he's blessed hope and foundation of truth. In Philemon, the mediator and benefactor. In Hebrews, the radiance of the father who is our true and perfect high priest. In James, he's the power of faith maturation. In 1 Peter, hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, the chief shepherd who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, the source of all fellowship. In 2 John, the source of all faithfulness. And in 3 John, the source of all truth. In Jude, he's the protector and our security. And in Revelation, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal one, the unchanging one, the righteous judge and the maker of all things new. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus, may our eyes be opened to who you are. And may our hearts burn with the truth of who you are. May we all across this field today see you. Jesus, may we truly see you. And in our seeing you, may our faith in you ignite and grow. And may this spur forth a movement of a people called Emmaus Church who seek to see God glorified and churches multiplied by the declaring and the displaying of the gospel. May this be in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching this Emmaus KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.